either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Marvel back on the big screen this week. So no doubt that is the headliner, but we've got some other good stuff to talk about too. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And yeah, we will start with, finally, the origin story about Avenger Natasha Romanoff. It's Black Widow. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives. Before I was an Avenger, we have to go back to where it all started. My girls are the toughest girls in the world. I'm sorry. We had our orders and we played our roles. It wasn't real. It was real to me. To me, you were everything. One thing's for sure. I'm done running from my past. Took a while to get here, but we're here. Uh, for a while, and rightly so, fans were saying, uh, when are we going to get the Black Widow origin yeah. story? And mm-hmm. It seemed like Marvel was dragging their feet a little bit. And uh, then we get it. We get it in the production. We get it uh, rolling. And then a little pandemic happened, so we had to wait a little while longer. And uh, it is out on the big screens. It's also available on Disney Plus through Premiere Access. But this is one that, you know, get it to the big screen and have fun watching this. Because it's fun, and it is the big question everybody's wondering, is it worth the wait? We think it is. Yes, we absolutely think it is. You know, and I think a lot of people, uh, one of the complaints early on was the idea that she merited a big screen treatment because in the Avengers film, she's, she's you know, not one of the main Avengers. She's kind of a side character. And does she really have the, I don't know, uh, presence to carry a film? And I think that she does. But I think what the film does really, really well is surround her by really interesting characters. Right. That's the main thing that we, we talked about uh, in our written review uh, and some other times that we've talked about this film already is that, ironically, she Black Widow is not the most interesting character in this movie, and the movie is better for it. Yeah. Uh, we do know a lot about her already, uh, and it is one of the things about her being Avenger because she can't... She can't fly. Right. She's not from another planet. No. You know, she's kind of she's a... She's a trained assassin. Yeah, she's a trained assassin. So you're right. So what is it about her? How'd she get here? And this is the story. And so uh, even though she is the the main, the title character, of course, the, what really sells this movie, and we think what makes it work, is who and what they surround her with. Yeah. First of all, the characters are, are written well. And and mainly it's it's a core foursome of her family, right? Her her mother and father, uh, father played by David Harbour of Stranger Things, and mother, Oscar-winning Rachel Weisz. Right. right there. You're good, yes. right? And then you throw in her sister, played by Florence Pugh. I love her. I love her in all the things, yeah. every single thing. I just think she is wonderful. She's great. And not only are the characters, those ca- characters, written well, by uh, Eric Pearson, who did the screenplay, but you put them, put all those characters in the hands of these great actors, and they're developed so oh, well. Yeah. And right away, you're drawn to them because we start with a prologue set where all great things start in, in Ohio <laughs> <laughs> in 1995, when the girls are young, and then all of a sudden, the the mom and dad are putting this uh, escape plan into motion. They they seem to have known they would have had to leave the country at a moment's notice. Um, they planned for that. They had to do it. And that's where the prologue sets in. Then it jumps ahead. In the timeline of the uh, Marvel films, this one ends up being set in 2006, which 
falls. Puts it right between Civil War and Endgame. And, and, no, and Infinity War. And Infinity yeah. War. Yeah, Thank because you. she talks about, uh, Black Widow talks about the fact that she's in a divorce from the Avengers right now. So that's where it lands in the, in the uh, Marvel timeline. But uh, after they catch up to the girls being older, everybody has gone their separate ways. They're estranged. And basically, they come together. We find out about their past, their loyalties, who, who is working for who. But the, the mission is to try to take down this villain, Drakov, played by Ray Winstone, mm. who we love. Love Ray Winstone. Don't love his accent no, here. No, he but, really struggles with that <laughs> Russian love, accent. We love Ray Winstone. And his endgame, huh, is <laughs> to build an army of mind-controlled assassins, of female assassins, black widow assassins. Mm -hmm. With no free will. So that's basically what his evil plan is that they have to bring down. And what the film does, it makes that a very clear, they, they draw some very clear references between that and sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. It's unmissable. Yeah, right. But at the same time, it's not really belabored. No, it isn't. And it's not simply sex trafficking, although there is, uh, there's a scene that makes it clear that yeah, that's really... Yeah. But, it, but it's just about the domination of women over um, small-minded, small men. And it comes to a head in a really interesting, very well-written, very well-executed scene that reminds you that Scarlett Johansson really is the key to this film. I mean, she does a great job, but her character is not one that's super flamboyant. And so mm -hmm. I think the balance of these other characters is what makes this movie so great. But the other thing that makes this movie so satisfying is the action, which is right. done really well. It's very well executed. It is fun. we got to say, when you mention the action, the director is Kate Shortland. Yes. Who, if you don't know, she directed a great film from a few years back that not a lot of people saw called Lore. Not an action film at all, but a great film. And then she did... Uh, Berlin Syndrome. Yes, a horror film that I love. Yeah, That's very good. really, really good. So now she jumps into the superhero action game. And you're right, the action is very well staged, very well done, whether it's aerial stuff right, right. or hand-to-hand -hand right. combat, car chases. Oh, yeah. Very well done. And also, one of the things that makes this film fly is the humor. Oh, that's, yeah. that And, and it's very, it knows... The weaknesses with this character, yeah. because you know, uh, one of the great things about siblings is they point your weaknesses <laughs> out. And uh, and Florence Pugh is she's she's so good at yeah. like making fun of the posing and the landing and, they and have the some outfits. Great chemistry. And you know, uh, he's calling her like you know like one of the mi minor Avengers, and she's all mad about it. She's like, well, I think that God from another planet wouldn't be having this trouble right now. And I think that it, it did a good job of making the film believable. Yeah, they have great chemistry as, as siblings, and all four of them have great chemistry, yeah. really. But, uh, yeah, the humor is very wink-wink. It's very self-aware. As you know, I know, even though I know a lot of people are fans of the movie, I thought Thor Ragnarok went over the top with, yeah, the, I loved with, it. with the uh, humor. And, strangely, that screenplay also written by um, Eric Pearson. But here, I think it's just enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, they you're right. They, uh, they poke fun at each other with that. They also talk about uh, maybe some super suits are a little too tight now. <laughs> some people have gotten bigger. And the importance of pockets yes. and things like that. It's very wink-wink, <laughs> very knowing, very fun. And it's one of the things that propels this movie and keeps it feeling... Even though it's two hours and 15 minutes, and of course you have to say to the end because there is a surprise stinger, it keeps it fast-moving and brisk, did, I thought. I did, too. I did not feel as if this movie belabored anything. No. I didn't think there was a slog in the middle act. No. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought it I thought it moved at a quick clip. Mm -hmm. I did, too. And everything comes together, I think, in just the right, right amount. I mean, if you can say as much as a superhero movie can be character-driven... I think they succeed pretty yeah, well in this. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's, it's both. It's the writing, where, where it always starts. We've said that a million times. But when you get the talented actors like this, uh, they're, they're all four of them are so good. And then you throw in Ray Winstone. It's a smaller part, but mm -hmm. still. 
Um, it, it can all come together, and I think this is one of the upper... Jeez, Louise, how many Marvel films have there been now? Yeah. But, I mean, this one is up near the Yeah, especially the, the for top. a standalone Avenger movie, yeah. it is one of the most satisfying. Yeah, really was. And, uh, again, it's out in theaters, the big screen, where we would recommend you can catch it if you can. But, uh, obviously, if you got a lot of kids at home, a lot of families, it's going to be more economical to probably even do the uh, the premiere access on uh, Disney+, Plus, where you can find it there as well. Either way, we think it is worth the wait. It's Black Widow. Let's go to Netflix next. Shady Side, 1978. School's out for summer and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another Shady Sider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. This is Fear Street Part 2, 1978. You are our last chance. How do we end this? You have to go back to 1978. The first day of camp. Run! One way or another, you're going to die tonight. There it is. It's not just a diary, it's a map. I'm not letting you die. My sister's still out there. You You swore. It's becoming a habit. I'll survive. I will survive. So we're going to set the stage for this. Last week was Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Next week is Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Ooh, timeline, we're all over the place. That's right. They're feature films, so it's not if it's, it's not a miniseries of any sort, and they are based on R.L. Stein's more grown-up-y children's book series. So he did, of course, Goosebumps, which were for kids, for like your average, like, say, 10-year-old. Yeah. They also did Fear Street, which was more of adolescence, mm-hmm. so like middle, high, middle school, high school kids, uh, hence the R rating. And that's what these are from. And they're co-written and directed by Lee Yeniak, uh, who also from Ohio. So it's Ohio every place. Wow, R.L. Yeah, Stein is R- from Columbus. Yeah. And she is from Mentor, which is uh, near Cleveland. Yeah, we do have to stress one more time that this is not for the Goosebumps crowd. Not only is there a lot of blood in this, there's some sex in it, too. Yeah. So uh, the older kids. Yeah. The, the high school kids. Well, it's rated kids. R. Yeah. So keep that's, that in mind. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's very clever. You know, what, there are a couple things I've liked about both of these, the films that we've seen so far. Um, you know, the time stamp is meticulous. Yes. The soundtracks to both of these movies are so much fun. Yeah. They are so much fun. And the gear, the clothes, the hairstyles, mm-hmm. although, as always happens, when somebody sets a movie in the 1970s, the hair was not this good because it was pre-conditioner. It was cream oh, rinse. believe me. Cream rinse at best. And you know how much I love me some late 70s, so this is right in my alley. But yeah, there are a, a few things that are anachronistic about it, but still, very fun. Yeah, very fun. And the other thing that I think is very, is that I like about both of these is that the horror film style itself yes, yes. mimics the most popular type of films of the day. So mm-hmm. 1994 was very Scream influenced, and this is very, you know, sleepaway camp, to, um, uh, Friday, Friday the 13th. The thir- yeah. yeah, that's what this is. All over the place, Friday the 13th. Yeah, and not only that, you're going to see just outright homages to very specific scenes. Yes. Uh, and you'll, oh yeah, that's this scene. And then uh, and then they follow it up. So yeah, very loving in that way. A lot of fun. The timestamp is mostly good. And uh, the story is, you know, it, it's a fun one. It, it's about, it, it's not finished yet, obviously, because we have part three of the trilogy. we got to go back to uh, 1666. But it's about a witch and a curse and trying to end it with this small town. you got Shady Side and Sunny Vale, Sunny Dale. Sunny Dale. Sunny Dale, yeah. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting words. That's they don't, right. They don't get along. No. Those Shady Siders and those Sunny Dalers. 
But uh, all about the camp. So there's right. your sleepaway camp stuff and your, and your Friday the 13th. So, yeah, it is a lot of fun. And there is, like we say, there is blood. There's yeah. some bloodletting there here. There is. Yeah. There is. There's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bloodletting. And it's, you know, the whole thing, the roots of it vary, you know, sort of your greasers, preps kind of a situation. Sunnydale, that's where all the money is. That's where all the preppy kids are. That's where all the jerks live. You know, Shady Side. nobody ever gets out of Shady Side. It's full of losers. And then it has this curse because of this witch from, you know, 1666. And so every so often there's just a serial killer that pops up out of nowhere. And, uh, and it's fun because, you know, we've been to Salem and they celebrate witches. Oh, every, yeah. like the high school, every, there's witch, witch, witch everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what this does too. The Sunnydale, um, they're the devils. Yeah. And the shady side, they're the witches. Kind of to reflect this history that is going to, you know, it'll resolve itself in the third episode next week. But this isn't, for example, The Witch. This isn't an A24 film. But it's fun. It's, it it's fun. aimed at high school kids. Uh, so don't expect the world. But I enjoy, I've enjoyed both of these movies. Yeah, and I think what's interesting so far, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how they wrap it up next time. Because you've taken these two eras and, and these two classic genres of, of horror types of horror films, and you're now you're mixing them with the supernatural, because both in the 90s and in the 70s here, most of the time it was just a, a non-supernatural rogue killer, exactly. right? Slasher. Yes. And now you're mixing it with the witch stuff. So how they wrap that up next time is going to be very interesting. But so far, exactly, yeah, it has been fun. Yeah. Especially if you're a horror movie fan, really regardless of if you're in with the 90s, you're going to love the last time, the 70s type. Uh, this is a lot of fun, and we'll see where it goes. But it's on Netflix, and uh, it's been a, a very fun ride so far. This is Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Let's go to a documentary next. This is a feature that will take the audience on a journey to find the forgotten 52 Hertz whale Calling out at 52 hertz, a frequency unrecognized by other whales, this mysterious creature is believed to have lived its life in complete solitude. Its calls forever unanswered by its own kind. It is the loneliest whale. When you look at the sea, you're looking at a vast mystery. In 1992, a top-secret program of the U.S. Navy discovered a mysterious sound in the Pacific at a frequency of 52 hertz. A solitary whale, broadcasting at a frequency that no other whale could understand. Legend has it that 52 has been roaming the ocean for decades, entirely alone. After years of endless searching, what was that? after years of calling out, it was the uniqueness of 52's call that just may lead us right to him. Oh! You're crying. You're crying already. This morning on, on the TV, one of the hosts said, is that a tear? Is that a tear in your eye? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a sad idea. It is. It is a sad idea, and that's what draws you in. But it's ultimately a hopeful film, and it's a lovely film, uh, nature documentary. It's not the most stylishly told, but it is very compelling. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. I had not heard of it. Uh, it actually started in, I believe, 1992. It's when the Navy picked up the sound that they hadn't recognized before, and it was discovered to be... A whale song, but at 52 hertz, which was much, much lower than any other whale could understand. And so in the 20 years or so that the Navy kept listening, the song was never answered. Mm. And yeah, and then then the Navy stopped listening uh, some years ago. But an article 
uh, about the whale in the New York Times sort of reignited a, a global community now connected online with, with interest in this story. And one of the people engaged in that was documentarian, director, and co-writer here, Joshua Zeman. So not only does he get us up to date on the history of, of this whale, the history of whaling, the history of the Save the Whales movement that started back in the late 60s, but then he takes us aboard a, an expedition that he was a part of a few years ago to try and find, talk about a needle in a haystack, they tried to actually find this whale. In the ocean. In the middle of the open ocean. Uh, had seven days to do it, so they went out to do that. So it takes you aboard there, and it is very compelling, obviously. Uh, there's going to be a lot of correlations drawn, obvious correlations drawn between this whale alone in a sea of other whales and a sea noise with people today feeling still disconnected from each other, even though we are bombarded in a sea of technology. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's some there's some correlations there and, and what draws people to this kind of story. And, of course, it reminded me right away of the Star Trek movie about the whales. You know, you just <laughs> walk up to anybody, there's so many people on the street, hey, what's your Star Trek movie? Most of the time, you're going to get, oh, I love the one with the whales, because <laughs> it was the same deal. They had to answer that sound, they had to answer a whale sound, or the universe was going to explode or something like that. But it's just, it's just touching somehow. Yeah, these whales are calling out yeah. for a connection, and this whale is not getting answered. So, yeah, that's a compelling story. And it's a very lovely film. It gets its point across, and it has an epilogue. They come in, they catch up with everybody about two months after the seven-day expedition ended. And that's when it really gets its most hopeful feels. For anybody that takes some joy in nature's little victories, <laughs> I think you'll especially like the ending here. And it's available... In theaters, is it also on VOD or just in select I think it's theater? on VOD next week, next week. And right now you can catch it. In Columbus, you can catch it at Gateway Film Center, but you can catch it in select theaters now. Yeah, so we liked it. The Loneliest Whale. Let's do a creepy thriller. You could maybe call it horror. Jesus and Maria Jose are siblings living in a house of their father recently deceased. The routine is interrupted by the arrival of Magdalena, their paternal half-sister. After many years without being with her brother, she comes from Spain to claim her share of the house inherited from their father. However... Maybe the siblings don't want to sell it all, and they start playing games. This is rock, paper, and scissors. Me quiero ir a mi casa. Pero si ya estás en tu casa. This is a wild, a foreign language movie. Uh, the directors and co-writers Martin Blosson and Macarena Garcia Lenzi. Hope I didn't butcher those. It's such a weirdly David Lynch meets Yorgos Lanthimos sort of I'm a... I'm in, right I'm, there, <laughs> right there. Earth tone kind of gothic thing because it's just the three characters mm -hmm. in one big house. And when the half-sister comes after the, the, the uh, father passes away and you know, she wants to talk about the inheritance and talk about selling the house and what they're going to do, and she's only going to stay one night. They wanted her to stay the whole two weeks of her stay, but uh, when she's leaving the next morning, oh, she falls down the stairs. What? Or was she pushed? <gasps> hmm. And she's really badly hurt, so she has to stay in the house, and then she pretty much becomes a captive. So, yes, you're going to think about misery early on, but it, it really blows past that uh, pretty quickly as the siblings... The brother and sister just get weirder and weirder, and the half-sister <laughs> starts figuring out, as she's pretty much just immobile in bed, how can she get out of this? And she tries to get them separate and play one against the other. Which one does she think really pushed her, and which one is dangerous here? Is the other one dangerous? Are they both dangerous? How is she going to get out of this? And it's really, really creepy, and it's, it's, it's visually stylish in a very earth-tony way. Everything mm -hmm. is very yeah, browns mm -hmm. and very muted 
but still gothic somehow as it gets weirder and weirder and more dangerous. And yeah, you could, it's sort of borderline horror thriller. There definitely is some blood and some some horrific things. And it ends on just a, a gorgeous overhead shot that you really want to study for clues about what <laughs> may you're really going to take away uh, from this movie about uh, who did what and who ended with the upper hand. But but I enjoyed it. as And, and it's, like you said, when you, you talk about somebody like David Lynch mixing with Yorgos Lanthimos oh, yeah. and, just, and just weird in a good way. Mm-hmm. As you just watch these people just change and start out being really nice and polite. But, oh, they're not really, are they? There's some malevolence coming with this family. And, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. It's a foreign language film that's available uh, on VOD. It's called, And this is a title that's going to throw you. Because there's a lot of many, many movies called Rock, Paper, Scissors or Rock, Paper, Comma, Scissors. This is Rock, Paper, and, and. Scissors. That's the best way to search for it. Rock, Paper, and Scissors. And, uh, yeah, we like this one, too. Hey, let's lighten the mood with a comedy. An unprofessional documentary film crew follows five amateur runners as they train for Devil's Canyon Marathon, an offbeat desert race organized by Ed Clapp. I like that name. A desperate shoe store owner pulling out all the stops to celebrate its 15th year. This is Marathon. Has anyone, has anyone ever been seriously injured at Devil's Canyon Marathon? Are we still off the record? No. Mama. Mama. Jenna! You are not getting your shirt! They're for race finishers! Christopher Guest style. Mockumentary. Mockumentary, exactly, (laughs) where the sort of idiocy (laughs) of training for a marathon (laughs) is illustrated with uh, a handful of very goofy people. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, we we both run, but you get up against people who don't understand why people run. Why are you running? Is someone chasing you? Right. This kind of has fun with this. Like, people are training for a marathon why? And right. then the things that can go wrong right. and taken to the extreme. One of the things that they do really well, I think, is kind of get to why each one of these people is putting themselves through this and how incredibly hard a marathon yeah. is. So one of the funniest characters, her documentary crew is there when she opens up the first packet and she's looking at the map and she goes, 26 miles. <laughs> And then she's out. Yeah. But the documentary crew doesn't abandon her. They're still with her right up until, you know. And it, the, what the funniest thing is that all of the best stuff, the best life, clearly hers. It's clearly hers. <laughs> and then we follow uh, a one woman who uh, just had a baby. And so she's just trying to have a life outside of having this infant that's on her all the time. We have one woman who wants to break the marathon record for runners dressed as fruit. <laughs> um, and then the best is just this kind of real just kind of a dick mm-hmm. and uh and he is he wants to just be the best he looks down on everybody and he really just he just missed qualifying for boston last year by nine seconds and so that's really what he's in it for and and the funniest thing about him is the adversarial relationship that he develops eventually with his own documentary crew <laughs> yeah, Jeff. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it is really funny now the movie itself it's pretty slight you know it doesn't have a lot of depth to it and there is one character Sharid, who is an african-american runner and he is in this for the sibling rivalry because his sister 
does triathlons and has done Ironmans and makes fun of him a lot. But his biggest running joke is that he has to run indoors because every time he runs outdoors, he gets arrested. And that eventually becomes really tone deaf, to be mm. honest with you. I mean, that's it's a one trick pony that that, you know, if you're going to keep revisiting it needs to escalate to a place that you can't have an comedy. I mean, it just really, I was very sorry that that particular storyline could not have taken on any more richness than it did. Uh, but other than that, you know, I think the film is funny. The The shoe store owner who's in charge of things, he's very funny. He is, yeah. It just doesn't all kind of run together that well. There is no depth to it. It's pretty superficial. But it's, you know, it's an enjoyable uh, way to waste yeah, an afternoon. And, and it's very silly. And the good clue for this one is the trailer. Because if you can find, I laughed at just the trailer. Oh, so. yeah. If you find something funny in the trailer, and I think even the trailer that we put on our website is only maybe 30 seconds oh, long. Oh, yeah. But if you can find something funny in there, that's a good clue about whether or not you're going to be laughing uh, with this. And we definitely did. And it is available on VOD called Marathon. And one more. This is not just a horror film. It's the first Tunisian horror film. An investigation into witchcraft leads a trio of journalism students to a mysterious town marked by sinister rituals. It says inspired by true events. This is Dakra. The true events is just the high rate of kidnappings of children in northern Africa. Inspired has is a big tent. Exactly. Right. It is a big tent. And so they come up with a, a story that sort of begs the question of what has, what's happening to these children. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get a film that's really the first or one of the first from a particular nation. And, and there are times when that movie is so unlike all other films out there that it's just remarkable, uh, like Baskin. Oh, yeah. Which was one of Turkey's first horror films. Great, and, by uh, the way. If you like horror. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> yeah. do not watch that, Baskin. That's absolutely but true. But we're fans, and it was brilliant, and it was so unique. I think the biggest disappointment for me in this film, although there are a lot, the, the performances are solid, there's some very creepy images, but it is just a hodgepodge of movies you've already seen. And unfortunately, the undercurrent of it is pretty, you know, I guess mildly, I suppose, but um, misogynistic, right? So, yeah. I mean, it doesn't break any new ground at all. Um, and uh, so, and it doesn't, it just never feels fresh for even a second. You know, sometimes even if you're going to, you're going to take you're going to take cliches or tropes that are common, but the fact that this is the first one from this nation, it automatically just the culture of that country is going to give it a, a fresh flavor. Yeah, you're hopeful for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I that's not really the case yeah, here either. Yeah. I mean, there there were very very few scenes that didn't feel to me borrowed directly from another film, mm. um, and and it the whole story doesn't hang together especially well. So I'm sorry to say that because I was very eager to watch this movie. Right. And I do think the performances were decent. It's just it's just not very well put together. And hopefully, it's the first uh, Tunisian horror film. Hopefully, it won't be the last. Right. So this is that in itself is a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you were hoping for maybe more of a cultural prism through some of these uh, some some of these influences they get from other horror films, but uh, not so much this time. But hey, hopefully, this will be uh, something that uh, will continue to develop as they make these horror films, and hopefully, uh, we'll get to see them. But that is available on VOD. And that is Dakra, the first Tunisian horror film out this week. And with that, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And we're back in the lobby. Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeers, got some news. What are you hearing this week? 
Uh, not a whole lot this week, but there's a couple of bigger things. One, the release date front, um, Netflix is premiering a movie called The Swarm on August 6th, and that's a French horror film about killer locusts. And then Lionsgate has a music documentary arriving on October 1st titled The Jesus Music, which apparently charts the rise of Christian music during the 1960s counterculture movement. Seems like we're getting a lot of music docs this year. Yeah, and there have been some good ones, so we'll see about this one. On the uh, rep screening front, G-Kids has announced the lineup for this year's Studio Ghibli Fest. Um, Spirited Away will play from October 3rd through the 6th. Nice. How's Moving Castle from the 24th through the 28th. Castle in the Sky from November 14th through 18th. And My Neighbor Totoro will play December 5th through 9th. I know most of the Regal and Cinemark theaters participate in that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure AMC does as well, so... If you want to take your kids to see something other than uh, Hotel Transylvania 4 this fall, yeah. there might be some good options. And I would be I would be shocked if they didn't love all those movies. Right. And then on November 12th, Netflix will drop their big blockbuster action movie, Red Notice, which stars Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds. Wow. Yeah. Triple threat on that one. Yeah. Uh, moving into next year a bit, Lionsgate's feel-good, life-affirming drama, The Unbreakable Boy, will hit on March 18th. Universal has postponed the release of Downton Abbey 2. That was going to come out December 22nd this year. Now it won't come out until March 18th next year. And then Lionsgate has The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent set for April 22nd. That one will see Nick Cage playing himself and being recruited by the CIA to infiltrate the birthday party of one of his most crazed superfans. Okay, so just like a normal Tuesday for him. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish is playing his uh, CIA handler, and the dangerous superfan is uh, Pedro Pascal. So hopefully that'll be entertaining. <laughs> oh, yes. It, even if it's a train wreck, it sounds entertaining. <laughs> right. Uh, away from dates and everything, the biggest news of the past week is that, uh, just like last year, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences have ruled that um, streaming premieres in 2021 will be eligible for next year's Oscars, um, but they're not going with the extended eligibility date. It will be back to December 31st this year. Okay. So no, no more January and February uh, confusion. I know we had this year that really messed up our half-year list. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Apparently, the only strict requirement for the premieres is that they have to eventually be made for virtual screenings through an online portal and play at some point in theaters in Los Angeles, New York, Miami, San Francisco, or Chicago. Mm -hmm. I'm honestly wondering at what point this just becomes the permanent thing going yep, forward. We've exactly. It's been two years in a row now. It just seems like that's the next step. It sure does. Wouldn't be and surprised then at all. And the other random thing is that Sundance announced recently that they will continue to be a hybrid festival. Um, both this year, well, they already did it this year, but they'll be going in again next year with physical and virtual screenings online. And just like with the Oscars thing, I'm wondering if this just becomes a permanent fixture for at least the bigger festivals going forward as well. Yeah. Yeah, one of those things, one of those changes that we uh, had to get used to and might just be sticking around. You're right. Yeah. All right. You can always check the latest news uh, from Daniel at The Schlocketeer on Twitter. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, next week looks a little more busy. We've got the new Space Jam, a new legacy coming out next week. And Pig, I could not be more excited Nicholas about that Cage. movie. Also, oh, it must be Shark Week. We've got one called Fins. And we have Great White. It's Shark Week. That's right. 
Shouldn't the West Side Story have come out during Shark Week? <laughs> also, summertime. And down east? Uh, oh, I carry you with me. I've been hearing about that. Looking yeah. forward to seeing that next yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, Hidden Life of Trees. And Die in a Gunfight. I'd rather not. I'd rather not, but uh, we'll see what that's about. So that's looking ahead to next week. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about anything this week, either uh, Black Widow, of course, the big one, or anything else uh, out in theaters or streaming. Easy to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Have a great week. Until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.